Good morning, Smithfield. Every time I'm asked to preach on the Sunday or present the message for the church, I always have to be conscious of myself because I'll get to singing, and I'll get to singing a little too loud, and I got improper breath support, and I get up here, and my voice is already pulling half shot. And I'm like, hold on, you got to tone it back. you got a lot more to say today. You need to rein that voice back in before it's shot, before I even get up here. But it is a privilege to bring forward the message today. And I want us to turn to Matthew 6, 25-34. That's where we're going to live today. Today I would like to take a biblical view of two topics I believe that everyone would confess to dealing with nearly daily. Anxiety and worry. Anyone want to take a show of hands of who has a daily? <laughs> there we go. There's a few brave souls that are like, yeah, every day. And I'm included in that, right? The passage we're going over today is what comes up on a quick Google search of something like, what does the Bible say about anxiety? The passage is Matthew 6, 25-34. It's the anxiety passage. Some have coined it. Many, have, many of us have read this passage in times of worry or stress. But this morning, I want to stop and consider just how amazing God's provision actually is for His people And how the only answer to anxiety and worry truly is to understand how God designed life, understand that He has always provided, and have the faith to seek Him first above all things. There's an order that we have misplaced, that I have misplaced, a priority shift that needs to return back to a focus to God. And that's where I want to dig into today. This sermon, this passage on anxiety, was part of the Sermon of the Mount, the most famous sermon of all time. This was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount in front of thousands of people. We don't have an exact number, but I'm assuming we're in thousands here. He spoke to His disciples and many of the other people that had come to hear His teachings. He'd gone up on the mountain in response to that great crowd of people that had come to hear from Him. I've always wondered, if I've always thought, well, how did He actually speak and thousands of people half a mile away actually heard Him? But they never explained that this was a problem. God knew what he was doing, and he knew how to speak to people where they could hear. So let's dig into our physical passage today, Matthew 6, 25-34. Read it with me now. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you of not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and is tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray to the Lord to open our eyes to his word today. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are here because we see the value in learning from you and hearing what you would say. Not the words of man, but the words of God. And we see that in your scripture And we see that in the faithful telling of your message for any who would proclaim God is King and Jesus is my Savior. We love you. And we want you to cut into our hearts today, cut into our anxieties and our worries, and fill them with your provision as you are longing to do. I pray that surgery is done in my heart today, that you interject into my sin and say, this is my son and I am not abandoned him to his worries. And I pray that you open up every one of our hearts to hear that today. Bless the reading of your word. It does not come back void and it speaks for itself. It stands on its own two feet. 
my Lord. Everything we have is from you, and we will see that today. We love you. We pray all these things in your blessed name. Amen. I'd like to take us over the idea that when we seek Christ first and seek his kingdom work, the troubles that cause us worry will find their answer in Christ our God. Every single time. There is an abundant life to be had from an incredible provider. Abundant life without worry or anxiety is found in Christ Jesus' design alone. So let's go back and let's read our first section again, verses 25 and 26. There's the first chunk we're going to look at today. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So here comes the big question. Most of us have a book to answer this question. What causes us anxiety in our life? If somebody asks me that, I'm like, what do you want, the five points, or do you want the whole exhaustive edition? <laughs> yeah, lack of faith, and we'll see that. Sometimes it is what we eat. Sometimes it's what we'll wear. A lot of times it's money. How are we going to afford things? Is it relationship? Is it job opportunities? Is it self-doubt? Would you say that having security in all of those worries would make up a good life? If all of the things that cause you worry, if you just had that one thing, if you just got that pay raise you've been asking about, if you just got the next thing that you know you need, would that make it a good life? I want, us to call, I want to call us to examine that very concept today. What do we consider a good life? What is the threshold of good and bad? What do we define a good life by? I believe there's a misplacing of the priorities that make up a good life in my own heart and many others. Brothers and sisters, listen, the definition of a good life and the definition of life itself is found in the worship of the Trinity. Life is to give glory back to God. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's not an accumulating all of the necessary things the world tells us we need. A hint to that lies in the latter half of verse 25 here. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, is not life more than the material things that we worry about? Is it more than anxieties and worries? You can take food and clothing and substitute that with X, fill in the blank. Whatever is causing you worry. If my boss just recognized my talent, then my job would be so much easier and my life would be better. If my car just didn't keep breaking down and I could finally keep something fixed... My life would be good. If I didn't have all this college debt to pay off, and I wasn't sitting there for the rest of my life paying off $200,000 worth of doctorate debt, my life would be good. So what then is life? Life is in the Trinity alone. It is from God alone. An abundant life is from God alone. It is not found in what you can do here. It is not found in what you can earn here. Abundant life is found in Christ. Fulfillment, meaning, purpose is found in Him. That's not to say that what we earn and what we gain here is inherently bad, and we'll get into that. But the true fulfillment of your life is found in Christ, not in the work we do. He sent the Savior into the world, giving us life free from the death of sin we chose so that we would give glory back to Him and spread the great news. God created life and He created it so that we would see His goodness and give glory back to God. There is a work that is fulfilling, by the way. And it's His kingdom work. And we'll see that later on as well. In the words of Brother Tommy Purvis, what we need is more Jesus. More God, more Holy Spirit. 
What we need is to embody what he has told us is true and real and holy. The design for abundant life, one for free from anxiety and worries through Jesus Christ alone. We can trust that if God takes such good care of the creation that was not made in his own image, how much more will he take care of the creation made in his image? Sometimes we look around at a natural disaster in the world and think, how can the earth bounce back? A forest fire where you see awful pictures of these things just burnt to a crisp, animals and plants alike, and you're like, they can't, they can't survive this, they can't come back. When there's entire trees that only grow and seed during a fire. There's entire species of animals that come back and repopulate because of a fire. My point is God takes care of them even when we don't see it. We never question God's goodness when we look at the natural world. Because it's always in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands, right? Does that whole world not include us? When we have given our life to him and we're walking with him and we're putting him first, he has us in his hand. He has us taken care of. How often do we see that? We hold so much more value than a bird or a creature of this earth. So to embody that truth, that abundant life is in Christ alone, we must then seek Christ. It takes a priority shift. We often focus on the things that give us anxiety first, and then we seek Christ's face when we are worried, instead of leading our lives in the direction of Christ always, resting in His truth and letting His provision, provision come. Let's see how Christ gets into this, right? Anxiety and worry is futile and is against God's design. God sustains the whole of creation with all that it needs. He will provide so much more for those in His own image, the things we actually need. Let's take another look at our second section. Here we go. This is verse 27 through 30. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much clothe, more clothe you, O you of little faith? And that O you of little faith is so powerful, we'll see that. Now, we're going to take a sidebar for a second to clear up this identity thing here, right? Before we get into God's great provision and our view of it, let's take a, a side note for a second to define anxiety. I believe there's been an overuse of the word in our world today. Oxford defines anxiety as a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. By that definition, anxiety can be conjured over nearly every circumstance or scenario. If you start worrying about something as simple as, oh man, I don't know what, what's for supper tonight. I've not laid anything out. I don't know what's to plan. If that seriously was something that was bothering you, could that not dwell into anxiety? Or maybe something broader, right? Something more intangible. I don't know when this relationship is going to get cleared up with my mom, with my dad, with my sister. But it is a feeling, brothers and sisters, an emotion. It's not a state of being. It's not a condition or a chronic illness. It is within the mind. It's not a trait that defines the character of a human. And certainly not a believer. You are, not by you are not defined by anxiety if you are in Christ Jesus. Now, some people genuinely have a situation where their brains are prone to this emotion and they might need more attention to anxiety. But however, brothers and sisters, since anxiety is in the mind, take heart. Christ has overcome the mind and all other aspects of humanity. He lived a human life sinless and perfect, and put sin to death. You do not have to be bound 
to a feeling. Christ has overcome and He can set you free if you seek Him with all your heart. I see it all the time on social media. Well, I'm just an anxious person. It's just the way I am. I'm just anxious. I just, I just, I just get anxious. And it's just the way it is. I get anxious. Brothers and sisters, that is not something where you have to stay at. That is not something that's even true in Christ Jesus. You're not just defined as an anxious person. that You can be set free. Total other sidebar, I hate the phrase, it's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. To me, in my experience, in my life, and when I've used it, it's an excuse. Oh, it's just the way it is. I'm just an anxious person. That's just the way it is. Oh, I just got a temper. It's just the way it is. No, brothers and sisters, Christ can set you free from what it is. He can pull you through whatever you're dealing with. And He has and He will again and again and again. Now, let's look at just how incredible God's provision is for our lives and just how caught up we can be in the things that the world tells us we should be concerned about. It's this idea of God's provision and our selfishness. I believe an excellent way to begin to understand just how out of touch we can be with acquiring material and worrying about what we wear, eat, drink, where we live and what we earn is to look at King Solomon's revelation as to what all of his incredible wealth actually meant. Because in this passage, we're talking about where we eat, what we eat, and where we have the material things, right? There was, has never again been a man like Solomon, blessed with wisdom. He was the wealthiest figure in the Bible by far, a king that no one could touch. Want to talk about having? He had. He had it all. In Ecclesiastes, we see him come to grips with just how futile all that wealth was in comparison to uprightness in God's ways and working for God instead of towards His wealth. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, he really digs into the idea of toil. What am I doing with my life? What am I working towards? What, what does it matter? And he found that doing the work of Christ, doing the work of God, was what was fulfilling. And what he had amounted to striving after wind. And we're going to see that. Ecclesiastes 2, 4-10. through 10. Listen to this. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. How many of us have thought about, if I won the lottery, I would get whatever I want. I wish I had the checkbook to walk into Best Buy and buy every electronic I've wanted. I would love to walk into the Chevy dealership and pay outright a brand new blazer and walk out. Solomon did not deny anything his eyes sought. But look at verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil, the work, the effort I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. It's like grasping at the air. Nothing. How could we think in our capitalistic, you get everything you can society, that having all of that would mean nothing? Two celebrities I want you to consider. Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. Robin Williams was what many would we say would be the top of the world. He had everything. He had a successful career. He was in movies. He was a comedian. He had it all. 
And yet, life became so miserable for him that he even went so far as to take his own life. You can go on YouTube right now and look at Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey, one of his most famous quotes is, I wish everyone could have everything they ever wanted to see that it was hollow. So why does this matter, Caleb? Why would you bring that up? What then are we anxious for? Are we anxious for those things, those material things that men have sought after and have realized have come to nothing? Is that what we're choosing to worry about? Solomon realized that all of his accumulated wealth, all of the working he did, all the strivings for, of which the world says to strive for, was like chasing the wind with no eternal or lasting gain to be had. He was striving for himself, for his own good. Why then, brothers and sisters, would we choose to let the same strivings of the world, not the strivings of God, big difference, cause us anxiety and worry, doubting God's provision? Brothers and sisters, I am not preaching against striving and I'm not preaching against work. What are you working for? What are you striving for? To strive for the kingdom of God is infinitely better. To work for His kingdom brings joy and life and provision. To work for the things that the world says, you need the new car, you need the four-bedroom, three-bath house, you need these things, and to devote yourself to that will become like striving after the wind. Now, the world tells us to strive for earthly wealth and the world's idea of what a good life is because they do not see a good heavenly father's promise of provision. Understand now, however, that wealth in itself is not a sinful thing. Having much does not inherently separate you from God. What Solomon understood, and many others, is that his striving for that wealth the love for his wealth, the desire to build himself up, was never satisfied and meaningless because his heart was not set on the kingdom work first. Compare that then to the lilies of the field. See it again in the latter part of verse 28 and verse 29. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. There's your juxtaposition. Jesus is saying that Solomon in all of his fancy clothes made of the rarest materials from the farthest away places was not adorned like a simple lily of the field. Now, how many times have you had a moment where you realized that God's created natural world was not spoiled with sin in the same way that we are, and keeps its God-designed beauty. A coral reef, a flower, a mushroom, an icy lake, a sunset, a vine, things of nature. We've been hiking before, and maybe for a three-foot chunk, there's a bed of what looks like an ivy and these tiny little purple flowers. Intricate, delicate, tiny little things. And I just stand there in awe. How precious, how beautiful. I can look at the most expensive buildings with the greatest architecture or the finest piece of art in the Louvre and will not be moved so much as this tiny little purple flower. Ultimately here today in a vapor tomorrow. We see how God has inherently kept these things as intended and provided for them the scenarios they need to grow and function exactly as intended. Beautiful, intricate, functioning as he designed. You ever seen the coloring on the front of a ruby-throated hummingbird? When they sit in the sun and it glints? Or the wing of a grackle with that purple and blue iridescence? Then you get into the crazy stuff like the birds of paradise in South America where their wings open up and everything is just gorgeous. It, it doesn't look real, right? He has provided them everything they need to fulfill their function and fulfill it with beauty and purpose. 
And yet, and yet, brothers and sisters, those beautiful things are here today, gone tomorrow, burned up. They have fulfilled their purpose. How much more, beloved, are we taking care of? Those of us in God's image, walking with Him. Because if you have accepted the free gift of, save, the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ... You are not destined to be burned up into nothingness. Hear that. Your destiny is eternal life with the King when you have accepted His grace and His gift. So if you know that that is your end, what is stopping us from realizing that He is going to take care of us to get us to that end? If He were to just give up halfway through and be like, ah, He's on His own, He better figure it out. How then would we make it to the promise? My point is he's caring for us. He's taking us. He's holding us. So then where does anxiety fit in? We do not see God's provision because just as Brother Todd said, we lack the faith to see that God has never left us without everything we have ever needed when we are walking in right relationship with Him. Now, there's an important distinction there, right? There are periods in people's lives where they don't have what they need. And a lot of times that person has not come to a saving relationship with Christ Jesus. And He will withhold that for them to bring them to Him, to bring them to reliance on the King. However, even as a believer, when it, sometimes it doesn't look like what we wanted or what we thought we needed, but Christ has provided. We must keep our eyes fixed on the truth and away from the strivings the world says we should chase. How then, friends? By seeking Christ first in all things, by seeking His kingdom work. We pray, God, help relieve this anxiety. Help give me the things I need. And He may say, yes, my son, yes, my daughter, here are the things you need. And it looks nothing like what you thought. Do you trust Him that that is still good? That He is still good? That His promise is still being kept? Even when it's not the way you thought it was going to be. Putting God as the first priority puts everything else into place. Christ knows all that we need. He will provide it when we seek Him and His kingdom first, placing our faith in Him. Our last section for the day we're going to go back over again is, is in verses 31 through 34. Such a simple command starting out the gate, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We look in verse 31 and go, it ain't that easy, God. It just, it just ain't that easy to just, therefore, do not be anxious. Uh, God, you don't understand. I got some stuff I'm dealing with. I got some heavy stuff. I got worries on every corner. So, I mean, it's going to take me a bit, God. I mean, it's not just that simple. God is saying and telling us with love and compassion today, that when we seek Him, His identity, His face, it can be that simple. Christ longs to take it away. Because the strivings of the world lead only to more anxiety and more worry, we are called to cast off those things. Put them away. Set them apart. Don't be a part of that. Now, as Brother Peter taught me long ago, if you cast sin out of your life, 
what is left but a hole. And if you don't fill the hole with God, what are you going to pick up and put back in the hole? That same sin. It's putting off and putting on. So yes, put away anxiety and worry. Put away the sins that God is convicting you of. But you better be filling that back up with God. Because I know my tendency. I know my heart. And that's to pick up that old sin and Janet right back in the hole. And then I wonder, well, why am I feeling this way? Well, I did it to myself. I chose to pick up my anxieties and my worries again because I wasn't putting the whole full of Christ. Putting the whole full of God. Putting the whole full of prayer and fellowship and discipleship. We are called to cling to Christ. That calling is what sets us apart. We are not bound to the sin of anxiety and worry, for it is sin. What he ultimately says about us is that we do not have a trust for God. Because we don't have the things the world says we should have, therefore God hasn't been good to us. Because if God was good to us, I would look like everyone else around me. I would have all the stuff. I would have all the things that the world says I would need. And God says, turn around, but don't you actually have what you need? Don't you actually have everything you need to do my work and to be part of my kingdom and to pursue me and to put me first, have I not provided all of that for you so that you can turn around and serve me? Don't serve the world. Serve what the world says you should have. Cast yourself into what they say you need. God has provided every means for you to turn around and give the glory back to Him. Every means. And we'll see, brothers and sisters, that the things we worry about the things that we're so anxious about will be met in the need of Christ, what He provides for us if we seek Him first. We see it right here in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. The worries that so bound you, the anxieties that so bound you, the things that caused you that much stress... God will provide answers to those things, but it may not be the way you're thinking. And it may not be what you look like, what you think it should look like. But rest assured, He will provide. Period. We have been blinded by what the world tells us to chase. As we chase those things, we're only met with the worries they include. God is calling you today to be set apart. He's calling me, everyone who would proclaim the name of the Lord as their Savior, to give in to anxiety and to worry and to live there habitually is living like those without a relationship with Christ, those who are lost. The Gentiles, here in verse 32, are those that live apart from Christ, apart from a relationship with Him. They constantly seek that which the world will, says will make them happy. They seek a good life. Dare you next time. Go into a bookstore and find the self-help section. And just start reading some of the absurdity in those books. In the self-help books. Whether it's a rock that you rub and get good vibes off of. Whether it's karma. If you do something nice to someone else, something nice will happen to you. Just start reading through that self-help section. They say if you go to college, get the right job, get the right, get the right spouse, the right car, the right house, then you'll be good. You'll be happy. You'll have what you need. Or the worst, detach yourself from everything. Nothing matters, so focus on you. It's the opposite. Nothing in the world matters. We're all going to die anyway. Life is pointless. So just do you. It really doesn't matter. Both of those views are entirely against what Christ would have you know. Life is in Him. Abundance is in Him. Provision is in Him. It's not in a book. It's not with a preacher of worldly doctrine. It's here. This is life. 
Christ is calling us to realize that a good life only comes from a good God. Now, we all go through periods of anxiety and stress and worry. That is to be human. I'm not putting down anyone who says, well, I'm just, I'm just feeling it right now. Caleb, I, I just, it's just hard right now. Yes, my brother and my sister, it gets hard. I have been my very own victim. And when Whitney was looking over this with me earlier, she's like, I wish I was in here today. She's up with Children's Church serving up there. She said, I wish I was in here because I would tell them, hey, that was me. She had a period in her life where she defined herself as anxious and was set free because it is a feeling. It is a mindset. It is not a definition. It is not a chronic illness. The difference is, how do you respond to anxiety and worry? The worries that hold us as Christians and non-believers down are met with freedom in Christ Jesus every time. God already knows the heart down to the very last fiber and knows what we truly need. We see that in verse 32. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's not surprised at your need. He's not unaware of your need. He's not saying, oh man, I forgot to give uh, my brother and my sister down there a, a, a thing they've been after. I forgot to take care of them today. I got to put that on my checklist, take care of them tomorrow. No. He knows what you need. So do you confess that to him? God, I'm worried about this. And right now, for the past few days, I've not seen you in this situation, but you've seen me. You've seen my need. You've seen my scenario. You've seen what's going on. And I didn't even think to look at you, God. I'm speaking as I've caught myself doing this. I didn't even think to look at you. But here I am, my God, and I have this need, and I know you seek to provide it. So, my Lord, I seek you. I trust you. I see you. He sees the things we need that we don't even see. He knows, brothers and sisters. He knows your heart is burdened by your legitimate need. And he seeks to provide. How then do we put our hearts in a posture of trust and see God's provision he lavishes daily upon us? We must seek him in all that we do. We aren't called in this passage to seek wealth. Seek a new car, a bigger house, what food we'll eat what clothes we'll wear. Seek whatever is causing you anxiety and worry. We are called to, in verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. I'm reminded of something Brother Doug Sturgeon said. When seeking the will of God for your life, seek God first, and His will will become clear. The same can be said right now in this passage. So why does it matter? How do we actually enact this change? By turning over our anxieties and fears to Christ and seeking His goodness, we will find that He has already prepared exactly what we needed and the heart change we needed. He's already got it loaded, ready to send the moment we turn around and say, My God, I need you. Lord, I need you. Great are you, Lord. And he says, Oh, good. I've got the package already signed. I just haven't put it in the box. He seeks to provide for us. Now is the time to mention this. Christ will provide what we need, and that may or may not look like what we wanted or we thought we needed. Imagine this, you have a horrible scenario with a family member or a co-worker where you're just arguing and bickering. And you think, God, provide me the resolution to this. This is all purely theoretical. And instead, you have an even bigger conflict. And you think, God, that didn't do, you didn't do that at all. That was not good at all. You didn't help me at all. And it turns around three days later and that person calls you and said, you know what? I really was being hateful. And I'm sorry. Can we talk about this again? Maybe God was moving in their heart 
Maybe God was convicting them of something they needed to understand. So a situation you thought was not good, and inherently you're believing that God wasn't good in the moment, turned around to serve Him and both of you in the process. And that's just one example, right? The call is to let go and trust Him. We, we all have very real, legitimate needs for the good of our family and for ourselves that cause us anxiety and stress. That is a fact. You have very real needs. Your needs are not illegitimate. Your needs are not just made up. You need these things. But just like in verse 32, your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. The call to action that sets us apart is do you live there or do you seek God and His kingdom first in your anxiety? We must accept the fact that we may not know how our needs will be met and trust God to take care of us. Just as He does the birds of the field and the flowers that bloom and wither and burn, He will take care of us. Solomon saw that after he accumulated all this vast wealth, that not a single atom of his earthly wealth and prosperity was going with him to glory. Not a particle of it. By that same truth, let us not strive for the same things that the world strives for, causing us anxiety and worry, and understand that our needs will always be met in Christ when we put Him first. There's a reason... That the first one is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt have no other idols before me. There should be nothing coming between you and I. And if we had kept that posture from the gate, there wouldn't be sin in the world. But we chose to separate ourselves from God by choosing sin. And He has always provided for us, even though we chose that. I get tired of hearing of the whole, well, the world's coming to an end. This is, this is all the start of the end, blah, blah, blah. Listen, if God really removed his hand from this world, if God really drew back and left us to our own devices, we would crumble in an instant. God still holds this world. He is still in control. He is still king. He is still good. And if he can take care of the entire cosmos, what makes you think he cannot take care of you? And you, and you, and you, and you. If you have come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, you can hold that truth. Hold that provision. The call is to trust and it is to faith. Brothers and sisters, Hebrews 11.1 1 reminds us that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. We are assured in our hope in Jesus Christ that our needs will always be met. We are convicted that when putting him first and his kingdom work first, that he will provide answers to the future we do not see. He will alleviate our worries in the way we truly need that we cannot comprehend. Verse 34 is our final reminder to walk with God one day at a time. Let's look at 34. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, mom has this phrase that I've heard my whole life, and I don't know where she learned it from, but she taught it to me, and it applies greatly to this day. Don't borrow trouble. It means to keep the trouble of the situation with that situation and don't bring something into the present that hasn't come to be. As an anxious kid, it helped me greatly to remind myself to not bring anxiety and worry upon myself when I had no proof of the said worrying scenario happening. It's the what if questions. Yeah, but, but, but what if I fail this test? What if I do horribly inquire? What if I make my friend mad? What if I fail you? What if I disappoint you? They say, well, have you? No. Then why are you worrying? Don't borrow trouble. Keep it one day at a time. 
We cannot be looking forward and stressing out about stuff we can't even see because you know why? God has seen it and has provided already. If we keep the posture of seeking Him first, He's already there. We can't time travel. God does not exist in time. He knows. And He's been there. And He has provided. And He is continuing to provide even when you don't see it. So then, if I'm inviting all that anxiety on myself, I've got no one to blame but me. I've got no one to blame but myself. I can't even blame the world. Well, if the housing market was better, well, if cars were cheaper, well, if my taxes didn't go up $2,000 this year, I wouldn't be so anxious. Has God not big, is God not big enough to provide for that too? Is God not big enough to take care of you then? Are you seeking Him close enough to realize that? To see that truth? I'm guilty of not doing it. Something God's teaching me through every day. In the same way Christ asks us to trust Him in our daily walk, one day at a time, we offer the stresses of that day to Christ and trust His good providence. He is big enough to take whatever we are feeling and remove it, replacing it with the peace and joy that comes from knowing Him as your Savior. The next time I find myself with worries and anxieties about the future, what we will do and what we will afford, I pray that I embody this passage and I truly drink it in. I pray that we will all see His goodness in it and do so as well. Now, brothers and sisters, if you're looking up here at me today or you're hearing me online or you're hearing me anywhere else and you think, listen, y'all might be able to handle that anxiety, but this is not something I'm getting away from. I've tried it. I've prayed. I've been there. Brother and sister, if you're a believer, the call is to seek him. And that's seek him here. Seek him in prayer. Get into your word. Prayer and the reading of the Word are the two most important things you can do. Because you want to understand the character of God, read the Bible. You want to understand His goodness, read it out of the Bible. You want hope and peace and security for all the things that cause you worry, read it out of the Bible. For anyone in here who does not have a relationship with Christ, this might not make sense to you at all. Maybe you've never felt the oppression of anxiety come off of you. The, the oppression of worry come off of your back. Maybe that's never been something you've experienced. My brother, my sister, the call is to come to Christ. You may live there for a while without the things that you need, but He is calling you home if you do not have a relationship with Him. And He has provided what you need just on the other side of salvation. He has provided what you are so desperately seeking for just on the other side of the cross, of the payment, of the life He died so that you could be set free if you are not in Christ this day. If you need to talk to anyone about that, I'm looking around this room and everyone in here would be happy to either say, yes, let's talk, or here, let's go talk to someone else. The day is now, and this is something I've said every time I've been up here. There is no time to wait. There is no time to waffle. There is no time to ponder. The time is now. Every car wreck I see on 71 every day going to work, I wonder whether that person will be with me in glory. If it was fatal. A lot of times they're not. But there's some of those cars that you don't see how they walked out. I wonder if they're with me in glory. I wonder if they're with Christ. You never know the next step you take whether God's going to call you home. There is no time. And if that is the case, why not spend the rest of your days with provision and peace and hope in Christ Jesus and not separate, bound to your sin and your anxiety and your worry. There's goodness in the King and He loves you enough to provide for you always. 
pray we go into the rest of this week realizing that the next time Satan tries to tell you that you can't handle something, that you realize you're right, that he's right, you can't handle it, and you turn to God. Because he already has the answer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are yours. We love you. This church loves you. This church exists to serve you, to glorify you, to praise you in everything that we are. My Lord, you have promised us freedom from anxiety and worry, and I am so grateful and humbled that you would do that for the least of these. I am the greatest sinner I know. And yet, you love me enough to provide a way even when it doesn't look like what I think it should, when we seek you, we will come to realize that you are our great and powerful God. All of us have unique individual lives. All of us have different walks. And you walk with each of us step by step. You have put your Holy Spirit into the lives of everyone who believes to walk with them day in and day out and answer their anxieties and worries if they are seeking you with all of their heart. And I pray that anyone who isn't seeking you with all their heart today will realize that the strivings they have for this world are of wind. They are of no substance. And you are the substance. You are the life. Life is in you. Life abundant is in you. And no one else. I pray I embody that. That you're growing me to embody that. And every one of these people here you are big enough to handle it. And you've handled it for thousands and thousands of years and you will handle it for the rest of eternity until you set us all free in heaven with you after the end. You are our great king and there is nothing worth worshiping other than you and nothing worth trusting in other than you. We love you more than life, my God. I pray that anyone in here who needs to come to you today would not hesitate. That the weight of their anxiety and worry would be on their hearts so deeply that they seek you for freedom. We love you. We pray all these things in your blessed and holy name. Amen.